Hello and welcome to Rewind Reviews. You know the drill. We're doing old movies from Chris and uh, my childhood. Um, this week, uh, it was my choice, but I have carried on the, 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 the sort of trilogy we started last week. I've chosen Back to the Future Part 2, because as Chris pointed out a couple of weeks back, it's one of those trilogies that really... You, you, it, it, there's two reasons for it. It's because it's one. It's because they're kind of Moorish. You you know, once you pop, you just can't stop. You can't just watch Back mm. to the Future one. You watch two and then three. It's just what happens. But also, they are the most interconnected trilogy of movies uh, that from I, that from that time frame for sure. I can't think of another set of sequels from back then that were so interconnected. So yeah, it really does feel like we should be reviewing them back to back, which is exactly what we're doing. If you haven't heard our review of Part One yet, please go back because we're not going to cover the stuff we covered in that in this one um so like our history with the films is probably there's not much to, there's no difference between our history with back to the future part one and part of the future two i assume unless you've got something you want to add to that chris no no not that wasn't you know already in the existing yeah. narrative no so if you've not heard our discussion of back to the future part one yet discussion i would go check that out before you listen to this because we're probably going to reference things or build on points we made in that when we discuss part two um quick recap of part two um, Marty does have to go back to the. He goes to the future with Doc and Jennifer to help his kids. It turns out one of his kids uh, makes a very bad decision that sends the whole family on a spiral. Um, quite honestly, though, family's already in a pretty bad shape when we arrive in 2015. Um, while there, they accidentally give Biff the idea to take an, uh, to take sports results in the form of an almanac back to himself in the 50s when they return to their timeline having fixed the thing with marty's kids it's all messed up it's the uh it's the it's the it's the future that we're probably actually living in now under the rule of donald trump uh, <laughs> um where basically biff's ideal version of the future is one that's on fire um to fix it they have to go back to the 50s and stop um and get the almanac back from biff they can't stop old biff from returning the almanac because then he won't return the DeLorean to them in the future. It's all very complicated, but it works in the film. Uh, so off on the adventure, they go back through the 50s, back through all the events of the first movie as they try to reclaim the almanac. They finally achieve it, just as lightning strikes the DeLorean, and Doc is shot back into the Old West. Cue an awful trailer for part three. So, that's the <laughs> that's the setup. That's the, uh, the breakdown of the actual plot. Um... How did we feel about it on the second view? Because the one thing we talked about a lot last week, we kept hinting at, um, was that this movie maybe doesn't stand up to the first one. Like we both felt like going into this rewatch that we were going to prefer the second one because that was the one we preferred as when, when we were kids. But we both hinted at the idea that maybe the first one is the better film, and we, we, we our opinion on that has shifted. Certainly, that's true for me. Uh, where where do you sit with that, having rewatched it? Yeah, I think the the. The magic of it is still very much, and you know, the mm. fact, I think it's clear, as before, we also kind of won't have the recommendation, because yes, obviously, you don't you don't watch, I wouldn't recommend anyone only watch the first one, <laughs> so yeah. it goes without saying, we recommend this movie. We recommend, I think we recommend all three, we'll get it out, we, don't even oh, to, yeah, we, we, won't, we won't even cover it next yeah. week, we'll, we'll, we'll watch this trilogy if you haven't seen them, they're amazing, and if you haven't seen yeah. them in a while... They are worth going back to for sure. You'll have a blast. Yeah, especially because, especially in light of like the 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 way it links. I think you forget that as a kid. You don't. I didn't realize it as a kid, or it was only rewatching them that you realize how how clever the writing of all three parts is. Mm. Um, I think it's not 
and and you kind of you phrased it like this so i'm not saying you didn't phrase it like this um because actually i think you specifically did it's not so much that this film has gone down as the true genius of the first one is elevated when watching it with a review hat on when watching it with a hat that notices the script notices the nuances notices the detail the first one is a work of art the core thing the core nostalgic rush of this one and Mm -hmm. the the sheer brilliance of the idea you and i are in general suckers for time travel movies. We are. The notion of the alternative future, the notion of going back into the first film, it's such a brilliant idea. Like, it's mm-hmm. so it's so much fun. It's so interesting. Um, so mm. I would say... It's very. I would find it almost impossible to pick a favorite film. I think the first film is in a league of its own in terms of how good it is. Um, so I think you know, if you were to say what is what is the best Back to the Future film, I perhaps would have said Part Two. I would now say Part One because it is. Um, if you were to say what's your favorite, I'd be like, I don't know, Part One's a better film, but I do have a soft spot for Part Two. Mm. Um, so I'm kind of. Yeah, I think my view of the first one has been even more ele- elevated. That magic and nostalgia, a lot of that for me is about part two. Uh, and I do think at its core, part two is a is a wildly good idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think it is. I think this, I think so what it for me, it's slightly different in that I do think my estimation of part one has gone up because I respect with a review hat on more what one manages to achieve and that definitely yeah. has has is tipped the scale that way but what i think is added to that is i am more observant now of all of part two that has to be hoop jumping to get mm-hmm. to the story two wants to get because of where they left off part one with their joke ending there are multiple ways in which they sort of trapped themselves we'll talk about them specifically when we get to them but it feels like a lot of the first act of part two is spent doing laborious repositioning of pieces to tell the story they want to tell number one yeah um and that brings it a little bit down in my estimation because there's a lot of to and fro and back and forth and this person goes here and this person has to go here and all for it to sort of actually make sense and then the yeah, there is. And, and then the secondary sort of complaint is I feel like a film should stand on its own and this film doesn't. Where it leaves off, the biggest character plot arc of the movie is left unresolved. Um, it's not like the first movie where the plot of the movie is over. Malty has successfully achieved... Um, restoring his parents and then there's another adventure to go on this is sort of the same adventure still the way and while i'm i'm in i admire how intertwined these two movies are this and the third one um i don't feel it stands on its own as well as the first one does it's not it, com- it is vi- go on. 
It is very much a part two. That's absolutely spot on. I really, I really noticed on. So, like yourself, I've watched it twice. Um, mm-hmm. I watched the whole trilogy, and then I've taken it film by film for this. Mm-hmm. And on the second viewing of this today, I really noticed how I don't get me. This isn't a criticism of the chase scene at the end. Um, but the the bit where Marty's on the hoverboard and he's trying to get the book, and Biff is kind is of is that the stuff? In, know, is that in the tunnel? Car. Yeah, in the tunnel. The like, all of that stuff is is great, mm-hmm. right? Great set piece, a lot of fun. But I was watching it today going, shit, as a, as a, as a closing action piece, though, like, it ain't got nothing on any of the, any of the two in part one, either the, either the, um, is George going to get with the Lorraine and the, you know, the clock tower and the lightning and the plug and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. It ain't got anything on the, on the train scene in part three. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, that, if you think of that sequence in your mind, you think of it as a sequence. You don't think of it as this huge climactic moment. No. And I was like, wow, that it really is. It really is a part two. And, and like you say, it's not just like the set piece, the moving, the chess pieces around to get them where they want they almost in some instances over explain things like there's you know a bit where the 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 doc the doc says um he has this whole thing about oh 1955 could be a coincidence or it could be that that's a temporal point in time and da 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 and i'm like you, you know you don't I, I feel like they went, you know what, people might ask, oh, that's a bit of a coincidence, let's mm. acknowledge it, let's address it. When it's like, yeah, but you you could go, the, well, old Biff has just been reminded of that day by seeing the, seeing the chase in the, um, you know, mm-hmm. he says there's something awfully familiar about this. Old Biff has just been reminded of that specific time in 1955. It makes sense that he would choose that time. Like, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy also you that... could even see it as the like the day his life started to fall apart, right? Because that's the day George punched him. Yeah, and that's the day he went on the auto mechanic. You know, slightly defeated. That's that's a big. That moment is pivotal for Biff's life, as we find yeah. out because we see the version of it. We see the results of a version of it without Marty intervening, and we see the the results of a version of Marty intervening, and his life could have gone on two very different routes, you know. Um, yeah, and by the way, interesting point since that we talked a lot about, you know, is it, it do they do enough to justify that? Do you feel should you feel sorry for Biff and all of that stuff? And part two does a great job of going, nope. Like given the power, he literally chooses to murder. But yes. one thing I will say is, I listened. I can't remember. I think it was a clip with like. Kevin Smith talking about how like like never mind he doesn't say this but never mind that side of things isn't it weird that they kept Biff hanging around like you know everyone had the school bully and I'm sure they had fantasies about what they would do to them and punching them and stuff but I'm pretty sure stopping an assault punching them and then going you know what though let's keep him around to clean the car <laughs> that's a good point. That's a hey, Lorraine, much weirder that guy decision. That, hey Lorraine, remember that guy that tried to rape you? He's waxing the car right now. Is that cool? <laughs> like that's a that's an even bizarre like yeah, decision. Right. Character wise, <laughs> I mean anyway. that, that that criticism I suppose aimed more firmly at the first movie. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, but I, yeah, and 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 it's odd that like you they chose to have a line. 
you know, where Doc sets up that his ideal past is the Wild West. They chose to have a line suggesting a reason for 1955, and yet they chose to be mysterious about what was happening to old Biff when, yeah. you know, he materialises in the future. And it's kind of like, I don't know, I did the, the, the decisions... The explanations that, like you said, the the hoops that you have to go through is a good way of putting it, are are very noticeable. And some of them are genius. Some of them are subtly done and they're setting stuff up and it's great. But some of them feel mm. like, you know, dealing laborious. with Jennifer. Like it, it, yeah. yeah, some of them feel forced or laborious. They feel like they're really having to like work to make... It's like you know they're trying to put the, the 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 triangle piece through the square hole. It's not quite fitting. They're making yeah. it work just about, but your brain even I think even prior to being in you know review hat on, I, I felt like this the, the opening of this movie had a lot of shuffling around to do to sort of get to its point. The movie once you get to um, them leaving the future, then we're off and away, and it's it's a great movie. Like it's it's it, a lot of that stuff is in the first act. Where they're having to explain yeah. away Jennifer, set up a scenario where um, Biff can steal the, um, the grab the almanac, steal the DeLorean, and bring it back. Um, you know, that- explain really fairly laboriously that Marty gets into an accident with the Rolls Royce, and that you know set up the chicken thing. Yeah, is it a Range Rover or Rolls Royce? It's a Range Rover, I assume. Um, uh, uh, no, he's in the Range Rover, but I think he cr- he would have cr- well spoilers. He would have crashed into a Rolls Royce, right? I think is right, the notion. Right, right. Okay, because uh, yeah, because because the, the that the moment that crash might have happened is at the end of the third movie, right? Yeah, see, right, yeah, yeah, no, it right. is it is that moment because that yeah. Jennifer then looks at the picture. Jennifer looks at the facts she gets in yeah. this film. Oh yeah, and it fades away. Well, that's the other thing. Like this movie is very both good and awful at just giving people objects they can keep checking to see if time has changed like the matchbook yeah. that you're fired no like it's just constantly they're just collecting little trinkets that will adjust as time goes on to tell you if time has gone back so you don't have to actually go back to confirm we can we the audience can know <laughs> i will say though from the eyes of a child or from the eyes of an adult without a review hat on there is quite a lot of future fun to distract you from what the movie Correct. is doing. Yes, that that's that's bit. how I think they get away with it because ultimately this is yeah. still a movie we love and recommend. But I, I, I yeah. want to get it out of the way up front because it is it is it's the reason this goes down in my estimation on these re- rewatches. Does it make it a bad movie? Absolutely not. It's actually kind of a miracle that they do it in a way because it's so much laborious work for the script. It's kind of a miracle it's not an absolute mess because it probably on paper should be. Um but yeah, I will, gotcha. you know but it's what you were saying earlier about this feeling like a part 2. I actually think this feels like a part 1 and that's its problem. It feels like half a movie. It really does. Too much of the stuff that happens in this setup and that that's the reason the action set piece at the end of this movie is like, oh, that's your ending set piece. Biff and Marty in a tunnel. What... Yeah, because it's the it's the midway point of the story. <laughs> Yeah, that's very true. Uh, did you did you check and were surprised by like I start watching this film for the second time, and I'm like, have they added the fusion thing? And I go back and I'm like, oh no, that was there. Mm-hmm. Like that is that is one of those things that is like, wow. Like if you didn't know it wasn't planned, it like 
when you know it's very obvious, but like things like having the fusion box at the end of the first movie and stuff, I'm like, wow, you would think it was because it's kind of like that fusion box is, and they have to do a version in the third film, like, and it is a slight like, hold on, what's this machine running on? But that fusion box is. It won't, the problem won't be the energy now. The problem won't be the lighting. It's like they set that up at the end of the first, but yeah. It's... Yeah, but, well, I think that's because like, it, like the idea was, oh, Doc's off on adventures, and you're like, well, how can Doc, Doc be off on adventures if he can't get his hands on plutonium and he can't predict lightning? We just set up that this device shouldn't really be able to go places, but then they just wrote into the script, oh, he found he found a way. Now he can go on all the adventures he wants because he's got this thing yeah, from the crazy future. that they put the finding a way in the joke ending. Do you know what I mean? It yeah, didn't, of course. It, a true joke ending didn't need to be as detailed as that. And I no. think, you, but you're absolutely right. And you and and they've said it themselves. I think we mentioned it last time. You know, they wouldn't have put Jennifer in the car. And it is, you are right. The movie has to go through those holes to get away with that. But I... The movie going through the ho- hoops and the holes and stuff of, of not just Jennifer, but, you know, um, Crispin Glover not wanting to come back. I think it's weird because in some respects, like Crispin Glover not wanting to come back led to, well, OK, George, how about an alternative future where George has, has passed? And like that's that creates such a fascinating story. So on the one hand, you've got that. On the other hand... Just don't put him in the future scene. Like, we, whether we get to it now or in the triv, we can. But, like, yeah, they, neither neither Lorraine nor George, apart from Lorraine's laborious setup of the accident with the Rolls Royce, neither Lorraine nor George really needs to be in that scene. Mm-hmm. And you can't even, like, I forgive him using the excuse, well, we want Leah Thompson in it for the third. Just, but... Like, mm-hmm. there's enough Lorraine in this film in the other scenes. In the alternative future, in the 50s, you don't you don't need uh, the characters of George and Lorraine in that future scene, I don't think. No, I you also don't, don't think you don't need Michael them, J. But... Fox needs to play every character in that scene, but we'll come back to that as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember the trailer for this. Do you, have, you, have you ever seen yeah. the trailer for this movie? Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Michael, J. Michael Fox, J. Fox. Michael J. Fox. Yeah. And Michael J. Fox. Ugh. Anyway, um... It's not even his voice for the for the for the for the daughter. They... The makeup though on the daughter looks quite good. Like, yeah, it's convincing. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not even his voice though. Why? I just don't understand why they did that. Other yeah. than to be awkward. Anyway, uh, separate to that. Yeah, I think that the yeah they had all they had they the, the between the the cat the cast that wouldn't return. And the end of the previous movie, they were written into a hole. And it takes them an act of this movie to get them into a place where it works. But that is only one half of my sort of criticism. Either is being that it is it, it, part two and three are one movie together. And what's really interesting, I read um, I read at one point, and I'm not sure if I believe this, so I didn't include it in the trivia, but I read at one point that um, he had wanted to make it clear in the marketing that this was half a movie. And oh, is that why the trailer's there? Well, no, he was against the trailer because he, he, he felt... Well, maybe, but he was against the marketing for this one in general because he wanted this trailer, the trailer for part two to make it clear it was two of three and to make it clear this was like, you know... So people weren't disappointed by the all the stuff left over. You know, all the, the plots yeah. not dealt with. 
And apparently the reason this one didn't do as well in the, in, in, in theatres as the first one um, is quite simply because that, yeah, the, the ma- word of mouth was not good. It was people very dissatisfied because they got half it a movie. It was the number one film of the year, though, wasn't it? No. I think? Fourth. Oh, was it fourth? I thought it was number one. No, the first I one I thought was. I looked at that last week. So this is the problem you see. So it was. It, this is where you. This is the, so the word of mouth. It took. It took something like a sixty percent drop off in its second week, based on word of mouth. People basically not satisfied with a movie that doesn't really have an ending. Um, and yeah, that makes sense to me. <laughs> it's all funny how these things look in hindsight, yeah. isn't it? You know, it's it's yeah, it, it's it's so. So he was almost right to have the to to want the marketing to make it clearer that that's the case. Uh, because the way yeah, they did uh, it led to confusion <laughs> and, and and dissatisfied audiences in some cases, um, which is crazy. To according me. It's such to a fun movie. according to Wikipedia, it was third. Can you guess now, Dan? That's number two and number one. What year are we talking? Remind me of the year. Nineteen eighty nine. Eighty nine. Eighty nine. So this is a post Gremlins world. Batman. Batman is number two. And fuck, what else came out that year? That was a good big year for film. Oh, what was the other one? Because, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Ah, uh, that's going to kill me. You want to say? Go on. I tell you, there's a lot of sequels in this list. Uh, but number one, also a sequel, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Of course. Yes, yes. That I guarantee sense. you, you're not getting the others. This is a crazy list. Fourth, Look Who's Talking. Fifth, Dead Poet Society. Sixth, Lethal Weapon 2. Seventh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Eighth, Ghostbusters 2. Ninth, The Little Mermaid. Tenth, Born on the Fourth of July. <laughs> this is a great... That's a, what a great year for movies. So there was Batman... <laughs> Wait, let me just get that right. So Batman Ghostbusters, Back to the Future Part 2, and what Yeah, else? but it's like, it's Le- Lethal Weapon 2. Yeah, but there's a lot of sequels that people weren't impressed with. Ghostbusters 2, Lethal Weapon... Oh, Lethal Weapon 2, I think people liked. Yeah. Anyway. Well, um, I, Indiana fa- Jones it's worth noting, Dead Poet Society is another favourite of mine that may come back up at some point on this, because I love that movie so much. Um so that's mm. that's probably going to show up at some point, but yeah. So I, I it, it, it's um, so it didn't do as well. And, and it, the, 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 if you look at the stats, it was its second week where it all dropped off really hard, mm. um, and that's that's kind of why. So it, it, there's some been cho- there were some choices made there that were questionable, I think. Um, and I and I, but at the same time, I don't see how else they could well. One of them is fixable, one of them isn't, in my opinion. The hoop jumping at the beginning of the movie, I don't think you get that any better, if I'm being honest. Splitting it into two movies and having the story go so much across those two, I'm, I'm, even now I'm thinking, God, I wish maybe they hadn't done quite that. <laughs> yes, it, quite I would have liked jump. this movie to feel like it had an ending more than it did. I yes, but that you know what I I wouldn't change it because that's a problem now with a review hat on. It wasn't a problem as a kid, and like yes, but it was. A, you, but it, yeah, but it was a problem for, for their box office figures. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> no, I uh, third third, <laughs> third highest grossing film that year. It's fine. Like, it's, yeah, but they, like, they definitely just, wanted it to be first. I mean, it deserved to be first, and it was. It was. I imagine it was expected to be first. Uh, yeah, I would have thought so. Yeah, no, look, I I get that and I understand that. I, but I, I just, yeah, I'm, 
I'm with it. I just think it's such a because you'd you'd probably have to take out the alternate future stuff, or you'd have to take out like Christ. I certainly it would feel like a movie of two halves if half was present day or whatever, and then it went to the Wild West. Mm. So, but and I but wouldn't have, have wanted. Couldn't this movie inter- though have ended with Marty and Doc going back to the present timeline, confirming in this movie that they succeeded more. Delib- okay, this is my pitch for it. This movie ends. Forget the lightning storm and Doc getting hit by lightning and the guy coming back with the thing from the West. We're moving that to the third movie, right? To the start of the third movie. We'll 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 deal with that in a bit. But they they're in the fifties. They get the almanac back after maybe a slightly more elaborate, uh, sort of bigger set piece. Bigger set piece with Biff, right? Fine. They get the almanac. They go back. They find Jennifer on the porch, everything's fine. They've corrected the future, yeah? Phew. Mm -hmm. We do the Marty and the car thing from the end of three because they set that up in this movie. He makes the right choice. He's learned a lesson. And the movie ends on, on, on another hint of another adventure, a separate one. Yeah, but I don't know what... At this point, I don't know what's happened. Like, and it's a flaw, like, with the... With the fact that it's a part two, the movie as it stands at the moment, they've not done enough to convince me that anything has happened to Marty to make him learn that lesson. That for me is much clearer in the in the part three that we get, and it's putting that into this movie right. is is you know going to make it even more bloated. Could you imagine the opening of Back to the Future Three being Marty and Doc running a test with the with the DeLorean, but a storm rolls in, it hits it. The guy shows up with the letter, and he realizes the docks back in um, the eighteen fifties, and then the fucking title yeah. card. What a great opening to a movie that would have been. Yeah, it would be. But whether whether deliberate, whether a joke or not, fundamentally, part one ends with a cliffhanger. I completely agree with you. It ends with a cliffhanger in a movie that has resolved itself in a way that this movie doesn't. Mm. But it's not out. It's not out of sync with the you know. To the cliffhanger is not out of sync, and I do think it's funny the the notion that the minute Marty is sent back in time. Yes, that's you know what? what actually, I've forgotten about that. But for those who don't remember, this movie ends so the Delorean gets hit by lightning. This guy shows up and is like, "We've had a letter since the eighteen hundreds that said to deliver it to a Marty." At this moment in time, in this exact spot, and we had a bet going that you wouldn't even be here because how could anybody know you'd be here that you know that many years in advance? It's a letter from Doc explaining the situation, but he needs help because Doc's left him the the machine. Well, we find out in the next one that he's going to get the help of the fifties Doc to help him get the time machine to get him back to his own time that he's left in from the old west in a barn somewhere. But Marty then runs to go get. <laughs> he runs to go get. Fifties uh, Doc, who's just sent Marty back, <laughs> and the movie ends on this amazing moment where it's literally the end of the first movie. Doc sent him back. He's going woo, yeah, and he's like really thrilled. <laughs> Marty just comes back round and is like, "I need your help," and he's like, "I just even, sent you back." It's so good. <laughs> it, even you know, and I know you know, I know, yeah, but. It, with it, review hats doesn't matter as a kid thing isn't isn't a like you know fully fleshed argument i i get that 
But even even the letter captivated me as a kid. Even the notion of that. It's a clever idea. It's a really clever idea. But you could you could you could have done that in the in the start of the third movie though. There's that that doesn't need to go in any version of reshuffling this. My my point my my point is I do think think... it is possible to have reshuffled these in a way that would have made two feel more contained. Um, They chose not to do that. Fine, they made you know they were filming them back to back. It kind of makes sense. Um, and my understanding it's very, is they were, they, were, uh, it's, they were written as one originally anyway, is my understanding. It's very Matrix Reloaded, like, and mm. it does. And I do, you know, having watched The Matrix older, having, you know, <laughs> gone to the cinema excited twice and been sort of heartbroken twice, I do, I am, I fully admit that I hold that as a bigger complaint for The Matrix, the fact that it feels like one movie and then two movies, and the a part of my forgiving this forgiving of it with the with back to the future is that i saw it as a child and have more nostalgia and all of that and, stuff. and, and like probably I, saw them back I to admit back admit that yeah 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 oh, uh, yeah i think so yeah yeah Pro- are you probably like, re- reality is we're of an age where when we came across these movies they were all out you know we were able to we we had access to all three you know we were able to watch them as a trilogy and I don't know, uh, look, if that that's the intent, fine. But like, it's to me, I I, I just kind of wish the movie would have stood on its own a bit more. But let's move on anyway, because we're circling ourselves a little bit on that one. That's my only real complaints. Otherwise, it's 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 all good stuff. Um, should we start breaking down some of the other bits? Then what? I mean, let's talk about the George McFly of it all. Then so let's talk about. I mean, because you mm. know you know more about this than I do. Because I tried to do a little bit of research, and there, I'll be honest with you, Chris. There's so much contradictory information about what happened here i really don't know how i feel about any of it i've the, I, even yeah, going that's... into the trivia section on imdb for this movie there are four or five different accounts ones that yeah, make so... that make uh, what's his face seem like more of a bastard ones that make make uh, zemeckis seem like more of a bastard like there's a few different, and I don't know where to, where I land. So, how, how, do you want to, how, what's your understanding of the situation? My understanding is that basically Glover wanted more money. Um, mm-hmm. They decided they, you know, they wouldn't give him more money. So Glover went, okay, I won't, I won't do the movie. And Glover's big complaint since has been that by putting an actor that mimicked his voice and did a similar thing as george by doing the upside down so you can't really tell whether it's george thing or not and by having archive footage at the dance Mm -hmm. of crispin glover uh they and in the credits it being you know featuring i think it's something like scenes of crispin glover from back to the future by doing those things, people thought he was in the movie and he took offence to that because he wasn't in the movie and wouldn't have made the decisions that uh, the actor that played George instead did. Jeffrey, kind Jeffrey of Wiseman. I've got his name in front of me. Yeah, and his argument I've heard in interviews has been, you recast Jennifer, just recast me. Um, I I would make a different argument. Keep keep the alternative storyline and just don't have because I would understand if they had that scene. So for those that don't remember, there's a scene around the kitchen table that features George and Lorraine, and if that scene had reaffirmed like Marty's love for his dad in some way to make it more powerful when his dad is then murdered, I'd I'd get it. But it almost goes against that because, like, if they don't have that scene, 
then Marty's last real interaction with his dad has been, you know, their house in the alternative future, but setting his dad up with his mum and making him a braver, nicer guy. The notion the notion that they go from that to there and everything's like so everything's great. You've helped your dad become this amazing man. Biss changed the timeline, he's passed away. Like that's a more compelling thing to me than like this weird I don't know, to be fair, like present day Marty doesn't really see that actually, does he, to be fair. Mm. But as an audience, I just yeah, I I don't know that we needed older George in the in the future. Because I don't think it it, it did enough to set up there's a world where he's alive. Mm. Um I understand Glover's complaint. And basically there's this huge rift. So Glover and Zemetic, Zemeckis, I believe, have actually worked together again since. But there's apparently a huge rift between Bob Gale and and Crispin Glover. So, yes, there's actually more to it than even that, according to some. So, Mm. basically, the the start of the problems was basically um, Crispin Glover went on record a lot after the first movie came out and complained about it. He didn't like the ending of the movie. He thought Marty's money and material possessions were rewards for his mm. actions, and he didn't take kindly to that. Bob Gale took exception to him going public with concerns about the movie, and that's apparently why they lowballed him on his fee for the turning up in the second one, because he was getting oh, paid wow. a fraction of what Leah Thompson and Tom uh, Wilson were being paid to return. That's the rumour. Now, the rumour is that when they lowballed him, there was a bit of discussion and they might have, they nearly had him on board with lesser screen time. He was like, well, okay, put me in the movie less than the other two and then you're paying me less is okay. So, and they nearly came to an agreement. At a certain point though, um, Crispin seems to have changed agents and his new agent went back to a, the, to a, went to a ridiculous fee that was more than anyone else was making on the movie, pretty much, maybe with the exception of Michael J. Fox and, and, and Christopher Lloyd, um, for the lesser screen time. And apparently that's when it all broke down. Right. But almost all of that, I've heard varying accounts for. Yeah, back absolutely. and forth. Absolutely. So I, who knows? Because who really knows does... why he was offered less money originally? Was it to do with his criticisms of the early movie? Maybe. And if so, then that's a little bit shitty on Bob Gale's part, but I get it. Um, and it, what a frustrating scenario that they came to where there was a point when they nearly agreed as well. I mean, on, a, on a, a reduced role for him in the movie. Maybe that's even why that scene exists. Maybe he was written into that scene during that period of time when they were going to be able to use him limitedly for a smaller fee. And... You know what, and this obviously we don't know if any of this is true, but do you know what would really upset me if that scene was true? If that was true, it feels like that scene has been written as some sort of revenge. It feels like the character of George has been written as a joke, mm-hmm. like to 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 face that, mm-hmm. um, which, yeah, which doesn't sit well at all when you could have done more to make the death impact yeah. impactful by, you know, showing real love between George and Lorraine or something mm-hmm. like yeah, and then obviously Glover did go on to sue the filmmakers because he didn't grant them permission to use his likeness in part two. The suit was named uh, John Doe one hundred to uh, one to one hundred as defendants 
where he did not have to name any individual that he was suing. Um, but he ended up dropping the lawsuit and the case was settled out of court by Universal's insurance company for $765,000. So just shy of a million dollars. The irony wow. being what they'd offered to pay him to do the movie was 125000 Wow. So it ended up costing them a lot more as well. Yeah, so they might as well have paid the seven six five and had him in the fucking movie, to be honest with you. And they really might have, because you could have done some great stuff mm-hmm. with that scene yeah. and that character to make that hit. And it's had a huge impact on the industry as well, I'm told. I, what I was, when I was reading into it, like it, apparently the Screen Actors Guild have changed and introduced new rules about using, uh, creating the impression of an actor that's not present in your film. Yeah, because, like, I think, to be fair, I think they could have done it in Doctor Who. I think Doctor Who in the day of the Doctor, it was more Stephen Moffat going, Eccleston didn't want to be in it, so it wouldn't have been right to digitally put him in that scene towards the end. Um, not the uh, So not the, not the Gallifrey scene, mm-hmm. the scene that happens when Hurt returns to the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, but maybe, but I think there is some likeness stuff because don't they now, like, they get, like, they do get you. Like, they, so to combat that, <laughs> movies right into the contract. No, no, we've got your likeness. We can use it any way we want. Like, there are reports of, like, some of the bigger movies, you know, people doing cast of their bodies and stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> or, like, digitally, like, scanning their bodies in and case faces, they need to usually. in the future and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, a lot of studios have been uh, have been putting clauses into contracts about that. I mean, obviously, if you've got a good manager or agent, whoever will go through that, and if you don't want that, they can they can fight that as being in the contract. But yeah, a lot of like um, or it gets you the big bucks. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of studios that have said, look, if you know, we can you know use the footage or like this in any way. I mean, look at what happened with. I mean, did they pay Carrie Fisher's estate? For using all the Force Awakens footage and essentially creating a new performance from her in uh, in uh, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? Uh, the, uh, was it Rise of Skywalker? You'd hope so. I don't know. You'd hope so. They might have had it in their oh, contract well, that they could do that they, regardless. They used they used a digital version of her in Rogue One as well. I know she hadn't mm-hmm. technically when that was made. She was still alive, but mm-hmm. like it's the same. So yeah. Principle. So and I don't and I don't know. Did they did they did they pay her for that? I, I, who knows. Mm-hmm. You know, did the Peter Cushing estate get get money for the digital Peter Cushing that appears in that movie too? I have no idea, but um, yeah, they, they definitely found ways around it over the years. Um, so yeah, so it's, it does it kind of inform the start of the movie because there's there's the, obviously there's the, the we, we we sadly weren't able to have the original Jennifer back. Uh, the actress, uh, her mother, uh, sadly got cancer and she had to not do the movie. We got Elizabeth Shue instead, who's okay in this movie. Um, I don't mind Elizabeth Shue in other roles, but I am, I must admit, I prefer the original Jennifer. I think we talked about it last week. Yeah, we did. And I think, you know, there is a, there is an element of, she had a lot, the situations she was in, in this film is very different. It would have been interesting to see, because it's a very subtle, caring performance as Jennifer, um, from the original actress from Claudia Wells. So it's, it would have been interesting to see how she would have chosen to adapt the character for these more you know, extravagant scenes, uh, you know, facing her future self, getting in a time machine, etc. Um, but e- even like the, even the, like, if you watch the scene by scenes, 
even the cho- the choices of the of Elizabeth Shue are even in the scenes where she's recreating what Claudia Wells did more you know overt which you know she might have been directed to do it might have been a choice fair enough it's Mm. it's it's a shame for her if she'd have played jennifer in the first film you wouldn't think anything of it but when compared to the two performances especially when i think claudia wells had real had well not i don't think it might not even be fair to say real chemistry with michael j fox Scenes which allowed the chemistry to shine through with Michael J. Fox mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in a way that, especially in this film, Elizabeth Shue and Michael J. Fox don't have scenes where the chemistry can be present. Um, so, yeah, I I agree. It's it, it's it's a shame, especially, the, but I understand the actress's reasons. I think it's very honourable. Um, and so it's that's a massive shame, that one. It's also a shame it couldn't work out with Crispin Glover. It, it's, a, it's slightly more... The 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 story of the alternative future is really captivating, and that's led by Glover's decision not to return. Um, so it did give us something. Um, but with I think in both instances, it's a shame the actors couldn't come back. Um, but obviously, completely understand Claudia Wells' decisions. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it, it's it, at least with that one, it's like very understandable with what happened. I feel like the the, the George McFly one's a bit different. It's interesting to think of what this movie could have been had both those actors, or would have been had those both those actors, you know, returned. Um, mm-hmm. I, maybe similar, maybe different. I think that yeah, I, I, it's hard to say, isn't it? But the uh, should, we, should we talk a little bit about the future they present in this now? Obviously, lots of jokes made in the years since about what they didn't predict correctly, but they also predict a lot of stuff quite well. So we, yeah, all right. We don't have the flying car or hydrating food, but the big flat screen TVs, video calls, um, mm. the re, re, the resurgence of 3d movies, uh, the, the never ending obsession with sequels. Um, there's, yeah, there's, there's an awful lot of right predictions and I've not got any of them in my trivia, but there's apparently some stuff they predict about baseball as well, and I didn't understand any of it. So I'm sorry, folks, if you're looking for baseball triv, there's none. I've cut it. But <laughs> apparently Miami didn't have a team, or Florida didn't have a team. And then this movie predicted they would have, and then they did. This okay. movie... The, wow. All right. The, the nostalgia <laughs> for the 80s as well. Well, that's very it? much a thing. The nostalgia for the '80s is very much a thing as well. Yeah, they called that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think any version of 2015 is definitely hankering for the '80s. <laughs> like it's yeah. Mm. Um, oh, the, the the fashion stuff they got kind of wrong, obviously. But the, uh, that idea of having like all that content to watch as well, like Marty Marty Junior, whatever he is, he sits down, he looks at the screen. There's like 30 channels crop up and all showing different stuff. Like that all feels. That over reliance on technology feels pretty, pretty fair. Um, do, I don't do you know, think do... it's kind of like the last? <laughs> like I feel like a show couldn't get away, or a movie couldn't get away with going. Here's the future in thirty years and showing a jolly positive future anymore, because <laughs> people would just be like, "Oh, really? Well, how do you fix the environment?" Like, do you know what I mean? Mm. Well, I, I mean, I think that was a problem then because look at the way they did it. I mean, Mr. Fusion is that. The idea you can mm. turn your trash into energy is exactly how they fix the environment in this in this version of the future. So that was even accounted for. Yeah, wow. Well, it'd have to be even more accounted for now, wouldn't it? Well, yeah. But I mean, yeah, if you, if you had a clean source of energy where you could both recycle your rubbish and get energy out of it, that would 
well, that would do it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah I think definitely. the, the uh, I, I think that's the premise anyway. Um, but the, yeah, you're right. It's it, it, the, the the further we get into our our own dystopia, the more <laughs> the further out of reach this like a like a like a clean cut flying car utopia yeah, well, seems to get to be. Well, it's like it. It's kind of, without getting you know too deep about it or political about it. <laughs> Fifteen years ago, when watching this movie, you could go. Oh, do you think? Do you really think that like one man being that powerful could lead to, you know, yeah. looting, rioting, and the general distress distress across the whole you know population of this town? Whereas now you're like, yep, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. It's 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 weird. Should we talk about the Trump analogy of it? Because. I mean, for those who don't recall, and this is very detentional, and they said it at the time, this is before Trump presidency, obviously, many, many years before. They, you know, they, they Trump was obviously into hotels and stuff, and that's who they modeled the alternate 80s Biff on. So when they go back from the future, and Biff, uh, the, the older Biff has given the younger version of himself, the 50s version of himself, the almanac, the story goes that he went and started betting loads and making millions earned himself the nickname luckiest man on the on earth or something like that and then he invested that money into an empire and basically crushed a lot of uh, at least hill valley (laughs) not really sure how far it goes from there but with his you know with his casinos and such and um and he was very much modeled on trump um it's kind of funny because yeah you're right like that's that analogy hits a little too close to home in our modern era. Um, yeah, well, I remember when, like, I remember the memes and the images of future Biff when, like, Trump won and stuff. Right, <laughs> it's yeah. It's like, it's, yeah, it's scary, and it's it's a good it's a good performance from Tom Wilson. Like, he's so good. Like, it, what, it's, it's kind of, yeah. a, it's amazing to me that he hasn't, like, been a, a, a more prevalent, um, yeah, like I think he's got like he's done plenty of stuff, and he's he seems very happy in himself. But like, yeah, and he's done like a lot he, of stand up and stuff. He, yeah, and he's like done music, and he's done smaller parts and stuff that he's really enjoyed. Like he obviously he showed up in um, he was in a what was that Bob Burnham, the Bob Burnham sitcom. He played his dad. Um, uh, Zach Stone is going to be Zach famous. Stone's going to be famous. He was he great. Was, in uh, that. He was also um, really good in the Heat with Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy. Right, exactly. So, you know... A film like, which, by the way, I don't think is as renowned as it should be. I think the heat is brilliant, but anyway. Uh, yeah, so he's... So, you know... But he, I feel, it feels like he should be a star. He's so good in these movies. Do you know what I mean? Like, he has... Obviously, yeah, he's, he's, he's very happy. He's had a wonderful career, and I'm very pleased. But it really feels like he should have been a huge, huge star after this. Yeah, I think he's particularly what's really, and I really noticed it in the scene with old Biff and young Biff interacting mm. together. It truly does feel like the same character, yet the nuances are different. Like mm. you don't, because if if you think about it, the difference between future Biff at the end of the first movie versus you know future Biff alternate reality here, and you know really old Biff, mm-hmm. it. It, it, it's a very, it's, like I say, detailed performance. And, you know, it's it feels like the same person, but in different circumstances. And I admittedly, given 
you know, I think this is more of the a uh, I would challenge the material more than the performance. But I think that comes across more with Tom Wilson's performance as alternate Biff than it does with Leah Thompson as alternate Lorraine, mm-hmm. who's still great. But like, you know, if you I would very specifically say Leah Thompson's best work is in the first movie. Um compared to the second movie, whereas Tom Wilson's best work, I'd potentially say, is is in this as well. Especially when... Because the problem, by having this dystopian uh, future, the problem is everything is overtly over the top. It has to be. It has to be a little more pantomime, because that's the point. Like, it's a pantomime dystopian future. So you have to amp everything up a little bit. And I just think that Tom Wilson does a great line of it doesn't feel too far. And I'm not saying it does with Leah Thompson. Um, and actually, again, I think that's the material she's given. Um, but it is it is fantastic that they managed to pull that off. Mm. Yeah, I think the cast, again, sell so much more of these, uh, are required to sell so much more of these movies than, than the cast of mm. other films to make it really sing the way it does. And, and they, they really do make it sing. Like, they are a huge part of it, and Wilson particularly. And I think what's cool about this movie is getting to see those actors play off themselves. And um, yeah, the technology exactly. required to do it, the Vista Glide. The, so for those who don't know, that basically the... The normal way that you would do a shot of two people in the same place is you would do a very static camera, film one half, then film the other. The camera couldn't move because you'd never be able to recreate the movement exactly to shoot it. So, like, you look at uh, let's look at a TV example. Look at an episode of Friends where Phoebe meets her sister, and it's clear Lisa Kudrow. The shots are static, locked down camera. She filmed one half. She hopped up to the other side of the screen. She filmed the other half, and they spliced them together. But Zemeckis really wanted the camera to move in all the the scenes where people were interacting with themselves or passing objects to themselves. And that's never been done before at this point. So this is a system called the Vistaglide. And it's basically a mounted camera and you, you control it from um, like a board and you, you spin these things and the camera moves and you film the scene. But the the, the computer attached to it remembers the movements and then you can do the exact same shot again and the camera will move to the exact same points with pinpoint precision which allows you to shoot something and then shoot it again from with the, with a different actor in a different place and you've got the exact same camera move because he just didn't like the idea that the, the camera moves the whole way through the first movie he's like why should the camera suddenly become static because you know doc's talking to an old version of himself or Biff's, to, you know, talking to an old version of himself, or, or or the whole family are played by Michael J. Fox, <laughs> you know. So he really wanted that to happen, and, it, and like it's incredible what they achieve from a technological perspective in yeah, this film. Yeah, the da- Dan sent uh, me a video, this two part video from VFX Cool on it, and it's just fascinating to watch. Like, mm-hmm. um, like as you were saying there, the objects being passed. Sometimes th- those objects were there for those, like. The scene with the almanac being passed from old Biff to young Biff, the camera, they programmed the camera to make that move. And the almanac yes. is actually on a, on a, you know, on a rig that is moving across. It's yeah. just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and I would really recommend those, that YouTube video. Yeah, it's uh, so it's on the videos. the Captain Disillusion YouTube channel. He usually uses his VFX know-how to debunk 
videos so like people will send him like a video of like a spaceship flying through the sky and be like debunking and he'd be like okay well the frames don't right here you see it juddering here and he'll point out where this visual effects are happening and you know theorize on how they did it usually with surprising accuracy um but he did this series called vfx cool where he did a couple of videos on back to the future um looking at how their effects pushed things forward and inspired him as well because he's a he's a big fan um and they're really good videos that just you watch them, you realize the effort they went to to do things you don't even think about. Um, mm. Simple shots like there's a shot in the movie where the, where, the, where the DeLorean just lands. And it goes from a model to a composite to a real car all in one camera movement seamlessly. And, it, and he talks, no, no. he breaks it down how they do it. And it's just remarkable. Uh, so it's a great little... Uh, I think they're ten minutes each. The videos, so twenty minutes in total. Mm. Yeah, Captain Disillusion's YouTube channel. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a the, the VFX call Back to the Future. Um, he did it in two parts. So knowing, it's great. knowing from that the effort that it took to have that kitchen scene where every actor, every character was played <laughs> yeah. by Michael J. Fox. Well, not every character, but old, older Marty, his son, and his daughter. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's worth it, Dan? <laughs> no, get actors. Ma- look, young no, Marty same. needs to be played by. Yeah. Michael J. Fox for the whole premise to work, and you might as well make the old one Michael J. Fox as well because it's supposed to be him older. But the daughter—that's just unnecessary work. <laughs> yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? I agree. What did they do that for? What did they do that for? It makes no sense. I I love so moving because we talked about a number of um, like very specific things um, in a fair bit of detail. Well, just a real minor thing that I loved as a child. I still love now. Every time I've watched this movie, I've loved this moment. The notion of Marty jumping across to the opposite side of the stairwell to escape the goods. Yes. I've always loved It's such a small moment, but I've always loved that because it's a real... That's fucking clever, but I bet most people wouldn't have thought of that moment. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, it's great. It felt so cool. It's kind of, I'd tell you, like, thinking about it deeper if I have to, I think one of the reasons I love that moment, because there's not a lot of Marty moments here where he's the Marty that skateboards on the cars in the first one. There's a lot. There's not a lot of effortlessly cool Marty moments in this movie. No, um, there's a couple. You know, they almost... There's a couple, but they almost make him like, you know, him buying the outrageous spy gear and stuff like that. You know, they they almost do the opposite in some cases. The That moment, though, is like, that for me emphasises who that character is. I love yeah, that I moment. think the problem is the other moments they do it, uh, repeats of moments from the first movie. So that you don't, like, mm. you don't, so him punching future, was it Griff, Biff's son? The grandson, whatever, uh, punching. Yeah, he goes to punch him, and they he like reaches out his fist. I don't think he manages to punch. You're him right, that. but he but he still outdoes him in the end and makes him crash into the thing by being Marty cool yes. and like you know skateboarding again. And you know, so they have that stuff in the movie, but it's it's usually echoing a moment from the previous movie. Um, should we talk about that? Because actually, as a kid, I used to love that. I used to love how much they these three movies echoed each other with moments reoccurring. Um, mm. How do you feel about it now? Because you could argue that maybe it's a little straightforward and a little lazy that history keeps repeating itself so precisely, so often. Um, I still think I like it, though. I still think it make, it yeah. works for me. Because in this, and it happens thoroughly throughout the movies. They have to stretch a bit more to make it work in the third one. 
<laughs> but how do you, how do you yeah, feel about it having referred to this specifically looking at the second one and the way it echoes moments from the first like you know the manure I, and the well not the manure so much but the 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 the, the chase scene and and the and meeting them in the diner and all that stuff i really like i do like it and i think it's like the worst example of it is the hangover part two um where it's just like the same movie again mm-hmm. This isn't the same movie again. This is like get building a world and building a, you know, building a thing where you expect the chase, you expect the manure, you expect the. Do you uh, expect the moment the in where he wakes scene. up in darkness and like? Yeah, exactly. And, and then yeah. the rain is there, and he thinks he's in the right time again, but then he's it's it's, it's all thrown out. Yeah, and they do really interesting. I mean. Yeah, with, I can't wait to talk about Leah Thompson in part three. Um, but they they do they always do fun stuff with it as well. And again, like, and again, I know it's unfair because you know I did watch this as a child, so I can relate. But it's you didn't give a shit when you first saw fucking hoverboards. Do you know what I mean? You weren't going, oh, this is this is the same scene again. You were just like, it's a fucking hoverboard. Like, you don't even notice that as a kid, I don't think. And then as you get older and you watch, like, I didn't really, if you'd have said to me, you know, going back a few years now, to describe Back to the Future, I'd be like, oh, one and two emulate these things. The third one doesn't really do that. Like, I didn't even notice how much the third one does it until I watched it. Mm. Um, I think in this instance, you're so swept up by hoverboards, um, which is another great example of the VFX. So, yeah, like, the the introduction, especially of the fancy bully hoverboards, has aged badly. But the actual effect of them gliding on them is phenomenal, considering this film was made in 1989. Mm. Like, it looks so seamless. Um, and, yeah, like, I... I Yeah, so I, I loved... I think it. I think especially in this film, it does really work. Mm. How do you feel about Act Three reliving, going literally into the first film? I. I mean, it's probably it's one. It's one of the best ideas of the movie, really. Um, yeah, I, it, it seems to that at some point there was a version of this script where they didn't do that. They went back into the sixties instead, um, for this final act. And at some point. Because they couldn't make it work, because basically age-wise, the mid sixties, you know, flower power and all that stuff will be ten years later, and the reality is George and Lorraine putting them in the flower power mode. They'd have been slightly too old for it. Basically, they wouldn't have been in like college or anything to like be, you know. So because that was what those scripts were kind of doing, they were kind of looking at that era. Um, so that was one version of it that existed for a while. Um, while because for those who don't know the, the the background of this film, um, neither of them wanted to make it. Bob Gale and Zemeckis both, uh, and Robert Zemeckis didn't want to make this movie at all. The Bobs. Um, we could have been calling them the Bobs this whole time, Chris. Uh, <laughs> we should have been. We absolutely should. We should have been. been doing. We, we let ourselves down. Um, and uh, they were like, you know what? Let us cool off. Um, we'll do it. If you let like Zemeckis is like I'll do it, but if I you've got to let me go do something else first. So he ends up going off and making you know another utterly incredible <laughs> movie from my childhood, which we will be coming back to on here. Uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is 
a masterpiece, both from a technical perspective and just from a from a storytelling perspective. And uh, yeah, I, we'll, we'll come to it when we come to it. But it's it's definitely on the list. Uh, we'll probably give it a bit more space now that I was going to. It was, it was literally pretty much next up on my list until Back to the Future Camp. We can't do Zemeckis movies back to back. So uh, we'll we'll, we'll it, it, that's you know in our future. But um, when he finished, while he was doing that, Bob Gale wasn't doing anything. So Bob Gale wrote some drafts of the script without him, and that's when it was all sixties and a bit odd. And then it was Zemeckis that came back in and was like, no, 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 neither of them really wanted to do the future, but they'd committed to that with the ending of the previous movie <laughs> because he, Zemeckis yeah. felt strongly that that you that you're never going to predict it right basically and it's just a fool's errand yeah but they were like we can do that quickly first act and then set up a better problem but this 60s thing isn't working so when they were faced that situation the decision to line it up with the first movie probably the smartest decision they made writing this film um yeah because for a whole host of reasons. One, yeah. it's a unique idea that another film wouldn't have had the opportunity to do Correct. at that point. Obviously, we've seen it since. But mm-hmm. at the time, incredibly unique. Mm-hmm. Two, it, the other problem for me with the 60s is you don't really... I don't know exactly, and I've not got it up, but I think it's like an hour before they end up back there. Mm-hmm. So, like... And that's a, that's one of the other reasons this feels like a real part two because this movie is three things. It's whereas the first one is the fifties and the last one is the Wild West. This film is the future, the alternative eighties, and then the fifties. Like it isn't it isn't mm. one thing. And I think the no the reason they get away with it is because the audience don't need the fifties setting up because we've already done that. So if if it had been the 60s, you've only got 40 minutes to really play with the 60s. It's like how uh, a show that I adore called Alf Wiedersehen Pet, the second series of that is apparently the Spanish series. But actually, in reality, they're only in Spain for like four or five episodes at the end, I think it is. So I think the other thing that's so genius about that is it takes the audience somewhere that they recognize anyway and doesn't require setup because they've seen the first film. Mm. Yeah. And I, and I think it's the way it's done. It does add a lot of tension to those last scenes mm. because th- there's this added dilemma of you need to outmaneuver Biff. You have the advantage of knowing where he's going to be and when he's going to be, but you have the disadvantage of potentially screwing up your your existing success you already succeeded on that night in getting your parents together and getting home you can't stop that from happening because they were all fucked yeah. <laughs> and don't you then you're causing an actual you... paradox and everything's going to shit so it adds this entire this like tension to it but it's also just really cool to see all of the moments that happened the way it intertwines with the original movie. I mean, this is execution as well as concept. So yeah, okay. Setting it at the same night as the as the previous movie, great idea. The execution of it and the way they link the two, where Marty's like, I don't know where Biff is right now. And then he turns out the window and he's being punched by George at that moment. You know, uh, Marty realizing that Biff's goons are going to try and jump him as he gets off stage, but you can't let them do because he needs to get back. You know, or the way it intertwines, the actual execution of it is so clever. Uh, like all of the different 
interweaving mo- you know moments between this movie and the previous one just work perfectly together and again the, the key words from the previous review feels planned and that's the thing the only the only reason i can ever come up with in my head to remake so not you know not reboot etc remake mm. this trilogy is the notion that you could truly plan that concept. The notion that you could see things in the background yes. of the first one and, and not understand what's happening or if they're relevant until you see them in the second one and the context is given. The notion, and you could probably do it digitally, but it would be awful. The notion of in the background of one of those scenes from part one, you seeing Marty in Spy Gear. The notion of like him walking off the st- uh, seeing him walk off the stage to see the sandbags on the floor do you know what i mean yeah. like have you uh... heard about the accidental one no there's mm. an accidental one that i didn't know about until i was reading the trivia for this movie and i went back and looked and it's genius so um the movie has um a 1985 doc brown having a conversation with his 55 counterpart right the 85 mm. doc is wearing like a brown trench coat and a hat and if you watch the original 85 Back to the Future, there is a man dressed exactly like this walking away shortly before the clock tower scene. Oh, awesome. Now, that is apparently an utter coincidence. They talk about it in the DVD commentary, and they were just like... What, they didn't even, like, plan it? Because I'd have been looking at every fucking scene and going, what can we, you know, what can we rewrite to make this play? Yeah, just a complete coincidence. The costume wow. department dressed him that way, and then when people look back and saw the original movie, there's a guy very similarly dressed. So, like, wow. it's, it, I, it's, and I again, it. it's the, it's that whole idea of like, it feels planned, but it, but, but it isn't. Yeah. And that's, and that's, the, look, I can aim as many criticisms as I like at the, the choice to make it two movies. It's a choice, the decision they made and they ran with. And as far as executing their idea, it's brilliant. Um, I've made some few few criticisms about the opening of the movie being laborious, but we've we've explained that hey, that works because ultimately you're having a lot of fun exploring this weird future they've invented. Mm. So that they get away with that too. The reason this movie, I think, stayed in as my favorite of this trilogy was neither of the it was neither of the bit sections of this movie. As much as I love the future and I love the alternate 80s. It's that last sequence that's amazing. All right, there oh, isn't, the, doesn't have the big set piece at the end. End. It's just him and Biff in the, in the Roger Rabbit tunnel. But fuck me, the the <laughs> this whole Enchantment Under the Sea dance section of this movie, seeing Biff give himself the almanac and convincing him to do it, the switching out with the almanac with that ooh la la magazine, like the tension of that, the genius of that. That's what makes this movie. And elevate. Do you remember movie how to that? Do you remember how exciting all of that was as a kid? Do you remember the, when mind. you realised they were going into the first movie? Mind blown! Yeah. It just phenomenal. And I think you're absolutely right. It captures the imagination like nothing else. Mm-hmm. And it, it and then they nail it too. It's yeah. like they have a great idea that captures your imagination, and they could have completely stuffed it in the execution, but they knocked that out of the park as well. So it's like, all right, you win. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> they do. It's yeah, brilliant. And 
Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's, it's a remarkable movie. Uh, what would you say, though? And one other thing I wanted to bring up, and I just, just to get your opinion, I'm not sure if I feel this way about it, but do you feel like they don't do a whole lot of character, anything in this movie? It's it's really uh, it's it's really a plot movie. There's, <laughs> the characters don't really grow or learn anything. They just have to react to the situation as it unfolds in front of them. And and and, and look, I, there's plenty of movies that that's the case, and they're great. Um, the movie doesn't need to have character stuff. But do, do do you sometimes look back at this and think maybe they could have done something more with the character work? Yeah, not until we started talking about how much it is a part two in this conversation. And when you were like, none of the character stuff is resolved. And I'm like, yeah, it's all resolved nicely. Like, especially with Doc and Marty. And Doc's is, sure. Doc's is only even hinted at here when, you know, he says, I'll, then, I'll, then, I'll now start looking at the other great mystery to me, women. Like, literally, only Doc's conclusion has one line of reference in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, and, and Marty's has the, the, the Lorraine stuff. And, yeah, yeah, the Lorraine one where she talks about him making a bad decision and him seeing yeah, exactly. his... Well, it, well it's, it's, he doesn't even really see it. It's Jennifer that sees it, isn't it? It's Jennifer sees how messed up his life has gotten, him getting fired and being you know, coaxed into uh, into into doing something illegal by Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which we haven't talked about that yet. Why is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers in this movie? And why did I not notice that until this viewing? <laughs> I, I tell you what, that that is an egregious way where they try to make it feel planned and it doesn't at all. Like, the fact that this is the third movie thing more than this one, but the fact that in the third movie, when needles appear, Marty's like, oh, needles, like, for the drag racing thing. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, needles. It's like, no, no don't, don't fucking pretend like needles was a character that we know, like... <laughs> yeah, we, by, we, we've by, met future needles, but don't act like he was yeah. in the first movie and you hate yeah, him. Yeah, they... Yeah, it's like he's just like a missing bully we didn't know about. Yeah, um, and that's the funny thing about the, that. It's the not funny even... thing about that as well is, obviously, the only way that works for us is because we've seen the scene where Needles coaxes him into, into doing something illegal and getting him fired in the future. But Marty doesn't even know about that. Like, Marty didn't that's see that That's what I'm saying. So actually, it, it actually, I don't think necessarily deliberately, but in terms of the it's Jennifer that sees it, what's interesting about that is... She doesn't even have a chance to tell him about it. Nope. So it, and this is a third movie thing, but it it really shows Marty's character development because he's not even going when he's like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna drag race. That would be stupid. He doesn't even know that there's a version of the future where he did do it. Mm. He's just learn, truly learn not to be bothered by people calling him a chicken and stuff. And I think it's Seamus, like, Seamus that teaches him that, but we'll, yeah. we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, um, the, um, the I completely well, agree. Do you th- no one gets an arc. Yeah, <laughs> do you think they'd have changed the line? You know, because they always say if we rewrote the first movie now, we'd have, you know, we wouldn't have put Jennifer in the car. I think the other thing they'd have probably changed, because it steps on their plot a bit, is when... Uh, Marty goes, what are we, assholes or something? And Doc's like, no, you you and Jennifer turn up fine. It's your kids, Marty. Because I look back at that line now and I'm like, well, no, the whole point is that he's an asshole. <laughs> and I feel like it's literally your plot. Your, mm. The plot of your movie is that he's an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think about the shot, to the, the choice to completely reshoot that opening, by the way? I understand they have to redo the Jennifer shots because it's a new actress. But they reshot the whole thing, everything, even Doc's stuff. I think the only shot from well, the first have movie to, that remains we, is, is him going out and been... touching the bin, like that one insert. Yeah, 
But as we mentioned last week, like, and don't get me wrong, he was then and is still a really handsome fella. But Michael J. Fox aged about 20 years yeah, between the two movies. <laughs> so they had to reshoot yeah, you're it right. all. Like. You're right. You're absolutely right. What did you think about the, like, that the, they couldn't be asked? Because in the previous movie, the present day Doc had old man makeup on. Because Marty had to meet past Doc in that movie, right? Yeah. yeah. So in this movie, because they don't want to have to keep doing Doc Brown up in the old man makeup, they have this thing that he, like, in the future, he got himself rejuvenated and he pulls it off in front of Marty. Does that, did that feel like, like, quite tacked on to you? Because I've, even as a kid, kid. I remember going, ooh. That it line. didn't as a kid. It didn't as a kid, but I think this came up last week, and I was like, "Now as an adult, you just literally go, oh god, they just didn't want to do the makeup, did they?'" <laughs> and it's weird. I do remember thinking as a kid, though, I don't really see the difference. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's subtle, but it's yeah, it's not that. But it's because it I think there, what yeah. I think they I think they put subtler old man makeup on him because I think the original yeah. plan was just subtly de-age him a little bit so he wouldn't really notice. But then they copped out and did the full-on, I've been rejuvenated, but by the time you've already sort of like dumbed down the makeup a little bit, you've got the problem then of the difference between the two isn't great. But if you put them side by side, if you put like the oldest version of him from like the early part of the first movie next to the young version of him from either the 50s in the first movie or the young version of him in this movie, you'd see the difference, I think, a bit more. But yeah, it's ridiculous. I would... Not as much as you'd see the difference again between Marty. <laughs> exactly. Well, in a Marty. weird way, they probably could have opened this movie with him having just the younger face and we probably wouldn't have thought too much about it because we'd have all been too no, busy looking at Michael so. J. Fox going, oh, he seems to have grown about 10 years in the space of the three that <laughs> <laughs> between this and that. And, um, can we and talk- it makes sense. You know, there were four years or whatever between the two movies. So it's, you know, it's fair, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. There's nothing they could do about it. They they took that break because they wanted Zemeckis back. I think if if they'd... Look, the other version of this movie where, where Marty looks about the same is where they shoot the next one, you know, within a year or so of the, doing the first one. But to do that, they'd have had to have had the movie written and directed without Zemeckis involved, even if they got Bob Gale back. Um Zemeckis wouldn't have been able to do it. He didn't want to do it. So he, was, he, well, he wanted to go make his, his other passion project. So... I'd rather get Marty ages five yeah, years would, in, yeah. in 24 hours and, than and the again, alternative. It's not, it's not something I actually noticed as a kid either. So it's No, I only noticed it on this particular reviewing. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was, the, was, the, was, the, was Marty's weird inability to understand this has all just happened to him. So, okay, so let's look at the timeline just very briefly. Oh, yeah, this really... I remember this coming up last week. This really winds you up, doesn't it? This really winds me up. So, Marty... So so let's get this straight. So Marty goes back to the past, into the 50s, right? And he spends about a week there, from what we can tell. That's about, about right? He does, he does speak. It is a week. Yeah, it's a week. At the end of that movie, though, they go get the DeLorean, they go, they get home. And then he's immediately accosted by Doc, like 10 minutes after getting like getting home or waking up the next morning. He's immediately caused by Doc. Less than 12 mm. hours have passed from him being at the Enchantment of the Sea Dance to getting home and then being in the future with Doc, mm. right? Then they spend less than a day in the future? 
Would we argue? Uh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. No, it is literally day to night. So, yeah. yeah. Less a than a day. Then they go to the alternate 1985, where, again, about half a day. So, since the Enchantment Under the Sea dance, at most, about a day and a half has passed. Right? Since the ending of the first movie. And then, in the second one, he gets there. He's like, oh, it's like, it's like I was only here yesterday. You were. In every sense of the word, you literally were. You were both there yesterday because of time travel, and you were literally there about a day and a half ago. What are you talking about, you lunatic? Well, he slept. He slept twice, but because he sleeps, he sleeps before two days, realizing the future's (laughs) changed, and he gets knocked out. All right, yeah. If I if I saw you on the Tuesday. And then saw you again on a Thursday. It's almost like I was there yesterday. You'd be like, "Yeah, you're I'd right. Like, it was two days yeah. ago, mate. Don't worry you, about no, it." No, you don't. I'm, yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying you're wrong. And actually, it used to be a joke, pet peeve as a, as a kid that I'd get really annoyed because I just had one friend that was particularly bad at it. When like you'd be up past midnight and you'd be like, "Oh, what are we doing tomorrow?" And they'd be like, <laughs> "Don't you mean today?" I'd be like, "You fucking wank." Yeah, the same kind of person uh, that says, "See you next year," you know, and it's like December thirtieth or whatever. Oh, I do that every year. Every literally New Year's New Year's starts for Jess with me going through a series of, "I've not left this room all year." I've not left the house all year. <laughs> I mean that that one turned out to be a little bit predictive. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I've not I've not gone to the loo all year. You know that kind. Of, that's I don't mind that so much because I am. I, I You're guilty that. of that. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Um, no, I I completely agree. And there's not enough because also like the kind of it, for someone he is he is in the alternate 80s. He is mourning, uh, still fundamentally for him, alternate 80s. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like he's, He is mourning the mum and dad he has actually in reality spent about two minutes with. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, and that's the problem. I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week, but like, you know, alternate timeline stuff, like you can't ignore the fact that Marty's already done it. And Doc was already trying, this movie opens because Doc's trying to get Marty to go do it. You know what I mean? All right, Biff. Biff turned out to be extra shitty and ruined the, like the whole world and murdered people and shit. Like I understand that, but fundamentally, we must correct the timeline. What? Back to the shit you've already been fiddling with. Doc's do, going. Do you know we, what? We've got to destroy this thing. It's caused enough havoc. But first, let's just go interfere with the timeline and save your children. Like there's a, well, there's a you hypocrisy know to all of this. You know what I think helps a little bit with that? Go Doc on. makes the and I noticed that only on I noticed this only on this view, this literally this last view. Right, right. Doc makes the decision to destroy the time machine before they've even experienced Biff's ruled alternative eighties. So mm. in the future, when coming back from that trip to change it, he's like, Nah, we're destroying this, we're done. Like, so mm. I don't think it resolves it. I think it helps a little bit. He yeah. has seen, even before, you know, the Trump version, as it's known, he's, you know, he's seen it. Mm. Um, very briefly, there's two other things we should talk about before we get to the trivia. Mm. Um, very quickly. First of all, that awful trailer for the next movie. Terrible. Oh, that's appalling. What are you doing? It it was that aired in cinemas. That, no, awful. I know your movie, I know your second movie is re- is finished. And you have a, you can have a trailer ready into it, but you, at the very best, put it at the back of the credits. Let this movie yeah, or, sit. 
or make it more of a trailer for a st- more of a teaser trailer. So, spoilers for anyone that's not seen part three, you know, jump ahead five, ten seconds, whatever. Um, there's a scene in the tra- they show Marty kissing Jennifer on the yeah. rejuvenated <laughs> timeline in that trailer. There is lit that there are spoilers in this trailer, yeah. Can only come from the end of the movie. Like, it, it literally, can you couldn't view that and go, oh, well, maybe that happens in the beginning of the movie. Maybe that's not a trailer. What, Marty in Wild West gear doing that? Like, it's it's full of spoilers. Yeah, I, it's terrible. I mean, it's not as egregious um, as to when I was a young kid and I must, I must have been like six or something. And like we, we bought the, we got the VHS for free, Willie, which I'd missed in the cinemas. And I was very excited for and I wanted to find out if the whale was gonna, you know, was gonna live the movie because the trailer for Free Willy One had set up the dilemma of the movie, right? You know, would the whale escape? So I knew that's what the movie was about. And the VHS started with the trailer for Free Willy Two. <laughs> Amazing! That's the first trailer on the video, and I'm like, all right, I know how this one turns out then. It's fucking amazing. Genuinely <laughs> brilliant. Blew, blew my mind. Um, it's, 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 it's pretty egregious to build it into the movie like that, I think. Um, and I think, if anything, though, I think the reason the decision was made is I think Zemeckis really was worried about people's response to this movie and feeling like it didn't have an ending. And I think that was his answer, was to go, look, look, there is one, I promise. This is... You know, the, the, he, I, I, in his mind, this movie didn't need to stand alone and was never meant to stand alone and was always meant to be part, almost part one of two um, in terms of the sequel to Back to the Future. And because he felt like the marketing hadn't made it clear, I feel like that trailer yeah. at the end is his way of doing, as combating that. He edited a trailer for the next movie into this one. Um, I think what they probably should have done is put it after the credits. But then again, would everyone see that? Probably not. Or made it a better trailer. <laughs> yeah, it made it subtler. I think subtler would have done it probably. Um, it's a it's a it's a real shame. <laughs> it's a, and it's and it's in almost all versions of this. Like you can't you can't avoid it. Um, the other thing I want to very briefly talk about before we move on is Doc Brown saves the world. Have you seen this? Hmm. No, I don't think so. So in 2015, when the date came up of Marty's future that we visit in this they released a 10 or 15 minute long short film called doc brown saves the world that explains why our future is different from the one predicted in back to the future oh that's cool it is on paper in execution it's awful (laughs) it's really bad basically you can you can find it on youtube or daily motion or like i think i found a version on facebook or something um I vaguely remember watching it at the time, but I rewatched it for this. Basically, the premise is Doc Brown discovers that there's something goes wrong with the Mister Fusions in the future when Griff Tannen he edits he, he hacks he, so Griff Tannen tries to hack every computer in the world to display the word butthead, but all the Mister Fusions I've heard about this yeah all the Mister Fusions have a nuclear reactor in them. And Griff Tannen doing that somehow causes them to malfunction and all of their nuclear reactors explode and the whole world just turns into a like Mad Maxian post-apocalyptic thing. So Doc has to use the DeLorean to travel and stop the Mr. Fusion from being invented, the hoverboard from being invented, 
um, the pizza of and by taking all those inventions out of history, he saves the world from that fate. And the that at the end of that, that's how we're in this timeline that we're in, where that none of that stuff came to be. But then it randomly ends with another Doc Brown showing up. And they're surprised to see each other, and then it just ends. And like, it's weird. It's not very funny. It's not. It's, re- it's way too long. Um, it, it doesn't make a whole heap of sense. <laughs> but it's well, what's a, for for a group that was so protective initially of the movies, all the time media. I don't know. It's a different thing, mm-hmm. and you know, you can debate whether it's canon or not. But all the tie-in media for Back to the Future is incredibly incredibly convoluted the game has a plot where they're manufacturing deloreans like eight seater deloreans which is quite clever for the purpose of you know the the ride sorry is mm-hmm. what i meant to say there the ride has that plot the game someone and as a as a piece of editing it is unbelievable someone has taken basically i the, I, there's a term for it you'll know because you're a, the more of a gamer than me it's, it's huh the cutscenes? No, so not cutscenes. The term, the actual type of game is a game where there's not necessarily. It's not like level one's mission is this, but you you the go point, and the you point can explore. Adventure? Yeah, you can explore every element of the world and mm-hmm. like gradually. It's a great game. I, I um, it came, it came out in five episodes. It was a telltale game. It was kind of like a point and click adventure type thing, um, where you'd go and solve puzzles and you'd wander around the world freely and you could find objects that would help you get around. And it's um, it, they 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 got a really good sound alike for Michael J. Fox because unfortunately he was too ill to do it. But it was considered the, it's the closest thing to an official sequel we have, and it's a five part story and, and it's brilliant. It's extremely convoluted. Yeah, uh, and but if it's you're got not a kind a gamer, of cartoony art style, which kind of is why they get away with it. If you're not a gamer and you're like, oh, if it's the closest thing to a to a fourth movie, I'd quite like to check it out. Someone has edited it together as a Back to the Future four and five on YouTube, and they've done a phenomenal job of editing it together. Have you it, have you watched it, through it then, or have you? I've watched the first. I've watched until it gets really convoluted. So I've watched like. Um, I've seen Doc and Marty reunite. I think I've watched like the first half an hour. Um, there's like a throwaway line about why the DeLorean even exists, which is amazing. And it just, between that, the ride, what you're describing about Doc Brown saves the world, it just feels like all the tired media is incredibly complex. Well, obviously the animated series as well, where isn't there like there's a DeLorean and they also sometimes use the steam engine from the yes. end of the third one. Like, yeah. Ridiculous, it's crazy stuff. So yeah, um, so um, but I, I, Doc Brown saved the world. Not worth your time, but a fun idea, and maybe they can use that idea in future if they do want to make a sequel to explain why this 2015 is different. Um, but yeah, otherwise avoid it. So trivia, yeah. um, I really called. There's uh, there's so much shite in the trivia for this, um, and we've tackled a lot of it as we've talked. So thankfully, I've been able to uh, delete a lot of stuff. Take a drink every time I talk about a thing though that I've already said, um, as as last week. Um, according to Michael J. Fox, he didn't find out there was going to be a sequel to Back to the Future um, until he watched a VHS version and the words to be continued were added. <laughs> he, he then had to call his agent and check that he was going to be in the sequel. That's amazing. Because, and that, I think, is due to the time frame again between the two movies being five years because obviously there was a big gap because of Roger Rabbit. And um, But in the meantime, the VHS release obviously 
they'd added that because it had all been agreed, even if it hadn't been shot yet, but no one had bothered contacting the actors yet because it was too early. Um, there was no point in getting an actor on board for a movie you're not shooting for three or four years or whatever. Um, but yeah, he had no idea. <laughs> it's, a fun, it's a fun way to find out there's a sequel happening. Um, yeah, yeah. This is Elijah Wood's very first film appearance. Um, I, everyone knows this one, I think, but it's uh, it's worth bringing up so people don't put comments underneath going, did you, did you mention Elijah Wood? I mentioned it. Shut up. <laughs> He's in the movie. Who's he play, Dan? He's he's the he's the little kid in the in the Wild West when when he's playing the Wild West game in the cafe. Oh yeah, and he goes, "You have to use your hands. That's for babies, or something like that." Nice. Yeah. There you go. Um, filmed at the same time as three, and it was claimed at the time um, that Michael J. Fox had forgotten how to ride a skateboard in the you know four or five years that intervened between the two productions. Um, however, motor skills are not so easily lost, like riding a bicycle and skateboarding. And Michael J. Fox has since stated that he that the, the belief is that this was an early symptom of his Parkinson's disease, disease uh, even though a medical diagnosis wasn't made until 1991. So the fact that he forgot how to skateboard in five years, they think that's quite... Un- that, that basically medical professionals have told him that's quite unusual and may have been an early sign of his, of his illness, um, which is both oh, wow. sad but also interesting, which is why I've left it in. Thing. Oh, he like I haven't read his later books, but Lucky Man, his first autobiography that he wrote, which deals with family ties, Back to the Future, and the you know the early diagnosis of Parkinson, is a um, is a phenomenal book. I think he's a, a phenomenal man, and his his approach to Parkinson's, both his and raising money for awareness, yes. raising money for medications, lobbying to change, you know certain rules and regulations around operations or whatever I, I don't know the details i may be getting that wrong i can't remember the specifics um it's just phenomenal uh and that book is well worth a read mm. yeah well there you go throw another recommendation there. check out the book yeah so i've never read it but it's I've, I've heard good things um so that mm. would be on my list too um just before doc and marty leave uh, 2015 there's a shot of the control panel um and it shows last time departed as November the 12th, 1955. If they'd noticed this, they would have already known someone had used the time machine without them, and they'd have known exactly where they went to to disrupt the timeline. So there you go. Because there is a, there's a plot detail. in the middle of this movie. Actually, we, could we very briefly talk about that? There's a plot in the middle of this movie where he has to go and find out when Biff got the book. And Biff just tells him. Well, I, what I love about that is they... Because there have been times where I've watched that and gone, how were you not expecting it to be him? But they really do do a good job of setting up, if you look out for it, admittedly, you have to look out for it, that Biff isn't, young Biff isn't really listening to him and not taking in, Mm -hmm. like, because it's pretty clear it's him. You know, no one can start this car but me. Two seconds later, he starts the car. But he's just like, oh, some old guy, distant relative. I didn't know him. Like, they do, when looking out for it, I think they do enough to set up Mm. that Biff isn't connecting the dots. Um, So I think he's the kind of, he's bragging, isn't he? Like, the type of character he is, he's bragging he's like oh you want to he's not been able to tell this story to anyone and now he's got the opportunity right. because he's about to kill the guy anyway mm. to tell him it so yeah yeah they don't do you have to look hard it is there right right in okay. my opinion 
I'll, I'll give you that. Another interesting one is a deleted scene that I didn't know about, um, and I found out when doing this. Uh, so when Biff gets out of the car after he's gone back and changed time, he's sort of stumbling, and like well, I guess as a kid I just assumed it's oh he's an old man, like he's not. But apparently the idea is that he was fading out of time. And there's a deleted shot. I wouldn't call it a deleted scene as such. When Marty and Doc get back in the DeLorean, of him, he's round a corner or behind a car somewhere, hidden out of sight. And as they're taking off, he fades from existence. Hmm. Why did they take that out of the movie? Yeah, I know. Even as a kid, I, I, di- I did interpret it as he's fading. He's fading from time because he's not... He's not there right. anymore. No, I, I see. Um, I never saw it as that because I, I was and, a dumbass, apparently. But the but that shot, I'm just like that would have really made that very clear. But then again, would that have been confusing yeah. to your average audience? Maybe I don't know. And that's why they. This is on. Um, there's a frequently asked questions on the section on the Blu-ray, and this is one of the questions. Um, and they basically left it as it is, so you could interpret it. And basically, we've given the two interpretations. One, he's just old and having a heart attack, or two that if you kind of were deep into it, you'd think he was fading from time. But they, rather than confusing the majority... Because yeah, I suppose because he does then show up in, so it was open. later in... He does then show up later in the movie. Uh, but out of sequence. Version, older, older Biff doesn't ever touch show up again, does he? Of course he does. That's, so that's, that's him when they're leaving the future. They then see him in the, six, in the 50s giving the book to younger Biff. Oh yes, yeah, you're right. Yeah, but that he so technically I'm, did that before that. Yeah, yeah, scene, no, it all yeah, it all tracks. Yeah, what yeah. I'm saying is, to an audience member, you see a yes, character yeah. vanish, and then that same yeah. character is in a scene later, understanding that that's him before yeah, he vanished, and following that logic might have been a bit too much to ask of yeah the average eighties yeah, movie going film... audience. Because this, I've heard people describe, you know, and I think it's easy for people to forget given the complexities of stories in movies and stuff today and, you know, in a world where the MCU exists and it's a 20-movie TV show. It, I've heard people describe Back to the Future Part 2 as complicated. So, like, yeah. as you say, that could have ev- confused those people even more. And I don't mean, like, you're not silly for finding it complicated. I watched it a million times. I know that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um interesting. So the in the 80 in the 80s cafe the soda menu lists four types of Pepsi products. Original, Diet, Max and Perfect. At the time Pepsi Max was not a product. Um it was only invented about 4 years later. Um and just in Europe. I didn't know this. Oh, wow. Pepsi Max only got to America in 2007, but we had it here in Europe from 1983 and still have it now really? and America no longer have it. <laughs> Pepsi Max is God, a, what is, is that? There must be a, is is Pepsi free the alternative no sugar then? Yes, I guess so. Or diet Pepsi, I guess. Right. Yeah, mm. or it might even mm. just be called no sugar. But yeah, it's, uh, so yeah, it, it's it, but the movie, this movie predicted Pepsi Max's existence by about four years. Wow, blimey! So it's crazy then that we've had Pepsi Max since eighty three, but Coke Zero wasn't. No, sorry, ninety three. We've had it since ninety three, but Coke Zero wasn't a thing until re- relatively recently. Yeah, in comparison, yeah, the mid thousands or whatever. Yeah, yeah, they they yeah. crack that code. Pepsi Max is delicious. It's the best of the Pepsi's. It's, it's mostly, Pepsi Max is the best diet cola. Full stop. Unless you're going for the yeah, full sugar stuff, to. the only one that tastes even remotely like that is Pepsi Max. Yeah, you truly have to train. If you're a Coke drinker, uh, you truly have to train yourself to take Coke Zero. <laughs> yeah, or Diet Coke. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas the, the 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 shift from Pepsi to Pepsi Max is not so bad at all. Mm. Um, but it's, yeah, Pepsi Max is probably full of high fructose corn syrup and other shit that's very bad for you. Anyway, irrelevant. Moving on. Um, so uh, when Hill Valley was created for Back to the Future, they built the town pristine, shot all of the '55 stuff from the middle of the movie. Then, you know, weathered it and damaged it for all the 85 shots of the town from, you know, the end of the beginning of the movie. That meant that when they shot this movie, they had to clean it back up for the 55 stuff. Amazing. And um, apparently it was extraordinarily expensive and it actually cost more... It cost more to refurbish it than it did to build it originally. From scratch. Oh wow, that's how bad a state that it was in. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's a that's another interesting one. Um, football scores that Biff hears on the radio while driving are actual scores from November the twelfth, nineteen fifty five. Um, the UCLA and Washington game that he and old Biff listened to uh, with the UCLA kicker Jim Decking the last field goal to win was also a real one. It did make even as a kid that scene did make me go because like I was like that's. It didn't seem like a massive game that they were listening to. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the Super Bowl kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And we know that there's that, there's horse racing. I was like, man, this book's got this book goes into some detail. <laughs> yeah, and see, Nadia said to me that the only way she even knows what an almanac is is from this movie. But I had an almanac yeah. as a kid. I had an almanac for wrestling results going from like the eighties through to the thousands. Um and I, I don't know why I had it. <laughs> I don't know where I got it from. Uh, but I, yeah, but I'd go back and look at old like results from old wrestling matches from like. But you, you know, had a book entirely dedicated to wrestling. This is what I mean. This has got multiple sports in. <laughs> yeah, you're. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, this is all the horse racing, all of the the football games, yeah. all. The, yeah, you're right. It's pretty amazing, and it's not that thick a book. My just wrestling one was quite thick. This is like a magazine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're right. Yeah, it's <laughs> a good point. Um. So, uh, originally this was only going to be one more movie. Um, it, it was sort of known as Paradox and included elements from both this movie and Back to the Future 3, sort of compressed into one movie. Um, there was even an earlier script where uh, Marty met his parents when they're college students in the 60s, um, but they had to drop this because no matter how you cut it, George and Lorraine wouldn't have been in college during the protest era. They would have been too old. So I've already covered that. Let's take a drink. Mm. Um, several elaborate sequences were deleted uh, through various revisions of the script. In the original script, Pa Peabody was being evaluated at a mental health institution for claiming to have seen a spacecraft. Obviously, they saw the DeLorean in the first movie. And as soon as he's released, he sees the flying DeLorean and fires his gun at it. And that's what actually was supposed to have damaged the time circuits causing it to glitch oh. so in this movie the reason they, they set it up all movie dot keeps hitting the little circuit because it keeps glitching out and displaying random times and dates and he's like i've got to get around yeah. to fixing that but they're all in the mixed midst of the action or whatever and that's why in the end when he gets hit by lightning he goes back to 85 because otherwise you go like well wait why did he end up in the eight in the 1800s like no one would have yeah. put that time into the circuit but the reality is, that, oh, the, reality, the, the, the premise is that it's broken and it's glitching at the same time the lightning hits it. But the reason the light, the, the, the board was supposed to be glitching was because the car had been shot at earlier in the movie. Oh, that's cool. And apparently the only reason they dropped the scene is because the actor, Will Hare, was unable to return for the sequel. Mm. 
there you go. Uh, That's a good scene. Yeah. Um, with the Mr. Fusion and the flight circuits damaged from that scene, there was a section where Marty and Doc fly the DeLorean into, a, uh, into an array of power lines over the Grand Canyon to generate enough power to return to 1985. That's in one version of the script. That feels like a more epic finale than yeah. Than certainly the one feels we got. epic. Yeah, that's that's uh, probably that's probably was bit, their original idea. A bit convoluted, but epic. Yeah, another cut sort of elaborate sequence was that during the uh, hoverboard chase, Marty grabs the flying car that pulls him into the sky at quite a high altitude, but he loses his grip and is then rescued by um, Doc in a flying van. God knows where the premise was for him getting a flying van and rescuing Marky Marty out of the sky, but also yeah. would have been bigger in scale, but maybe a little dumber. Um, mm. This is the last one. Uh... Oh, this one's so cool. Marty and Doc, after learning when Biff received the almanac, have to escape in the DeLorean during a police shootout. When the flying... When the car's flying circuits are damaged by police gunfire, Doc plunges the time machine straight towards the ground in order to try and reach 88 miles an hour before they collide. And it's like a tense... Are they going to hit 88 before the ground? And then they just about do. Um, It's a shame that one didn't make it into the movie too because I like that one a lot. (laughs) Yeah, that would have been quite climatic. That would have kind of resolved that issue. Yeah, and I think that would have felt very tense. So yes, yeah, so it is a little. So... It is a little like, whilst it doesn't feel as kind of epic, the current climax is at least a climax that's been set up the whole movie. That is create the movie creating a problem just to have that moment. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think so... I agree with you. I think when we're looking at some of those alternative options, I think we got the better of the of them. Um, so yeah, that's all the trivia. Because also like... that we've not talked about it too much. That scene in the tunnel is amazing it's suspenseful yes it's gripping it's uh fun it's yeah it's brilliant yeah i, I remember always like and even when we rewatched it this time nadia had forgotten i think that that marty brought the hoverboard to the 50s with him because the last time you see it i suppose you might see him throwing it into it in a quick shot but the last time you properly see it is when he's using it and he tries to get back to the little girl, and she's like, no, I've got the bulldog now, the pit bull now, whatever it is, that, you know, the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he sort of walks off with it in his hands, but like Nadia was quite surprised to see it playing a, a part in the, the finale. Obviously, she hasn't seen it in a little while. And uh, so I think it's a nice little pleasant surprise, and then it is quite a... It's, it is relatively innovative. I think we've been may, maybe a little bit too dismissive of it as a sequence. It's not as grand or suspenseful as the finale from the previous movie, but it is still... A pretty cool scene you know and especially towards the end when when um he flips over it to grab the almanac and then he's tr- biff's charging at him and he's like trying to get out and the, the, that uh ribbon thing you comes know, down and he lifts out into the air and gets away just in time um just in time for you know biff to crash his car into manure again um and i think that's it i think it's the fact that the because se- the sequence end sequence ends with the beat point for the what end of the first act sequence in the other cases do you know what i mean the mm-hmm. the manure is is really early on in part one and it's fairly i can't remember if it's early or no it's not early in part two in part three but it's you know i think maybe it's that I, but i think it, again 
as a kid, had never seen anything like it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is a dude on a hoverboard biting a guy in an old car. It's fucking brilliant. Like, mm-hmm. it, it is. Um, I, I think it doesn't... It, but it's that thing of... It, it truly, again, feels like a part two as a kind of result. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So there you go. I think we've I think we've covered it. It's 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 a, an amazing movie. Um these movies now with my current sort of like opinion on them, I feel, it feels like each one is a little bit worse than the previous. But we'll talk about it yeah, when we get feel, to the... well, how do you feel? Yeah, how do you did you how did you order them and has that changed? So you, Yeah, so I would have told you them. I would have said two is my favorite. One was my second favorite, and three was my least favorite. Three hasn't changed, but two and one have switched around. Yeah, so it literally goes one, two, three. Yeah, uh, but, but what's interesting, I will, I will say, say, is I, I three used to feel like a big drop off to me. Yeah, I agree with that. But, I, uh, three, but I'm not sure I, that is the case. Yeah, I view three a lot more warmly now yeah. than I did at the time. Yeah, because um, I think um, I think it feels gimmicky to a child. Yes, but I tell you what, isn't it interesting that three, for, and you know, without getting too deep into it, I think three works as an adult for the, it's exactly the opposite situation of part two. Three works as an adult because you notice the things that it's paying off. Three mm. works because it's the third part of a trilogy <laughs> in the same way that two doesn't work because it's the second part of a trilogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll talk about it more next week. Um, but yeah, a little tease for you there. So we'll be come back next week, obviously, to hear us talk about part Well, assuming I'm picking part three. Oh, yeah, Chris. Oh, we should go through yeah. this, this rigmarole. Yeah. Uh, Chris, what movie are we watching next week? It's your pick. Austin Powers 2, The Spy Who Shagged. <laughs> uh, no, I do want to do that film at some point. Uh, but we, uh, we're, yeah, we're doing Back to the Future Part 3. <laughs> Boom. Um, and then we're going to take a little break. Uh, we'll come back a little bit later in the year, I think, with more of these. Um, but, uh, yeah, pretty excited um, to, 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 to tackle the third one. Um, uh, yeah, it's, 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 been, uh, it's been a relief, really, re-watching these ones. It feels like... I mean, I was pretty confident they'd hold up, but, I can, I, but there's always that worry, isn't there, that this film you love is going to turn out not so great when you rewatch it. Um... So yeah, I'm I'm glad this is these have all turned out to be wonderful masterpieces that that I hoped yeah. and believed they would and, be. And also, phenomenally, what's nuts is the the craziest thing is, I I have re by the end of this we will have both rewatched all three films twice. Yes, in the space of a month. Mm-hmm. But still, it's so rewatchable. If someone were to say to me. Do you want to rewatch Back to the Future with me? I'd be like, yeah, right. Like, I I could sit through them. I could sit through all three again easily. Yeah, yeah, very, very which rewatchable. Is, which is a crazy compliment yeah. to pay to pay it. Yeah, I might be more willing to look at my phone a little bit, but I'm yeah, no no fair. problem yeah. sitting through it. But I will say yeah. that like even like there was no temptation on any of the rewatches I've done so far of this. Um, so you're watching the trilogy and then watching the first and second one again. Like I, I've not looked at my phone through any of them, um, other than yeah, to make, they, other than they, to make it, notes. It you in. Yeah, uh, yeah on the second view. 
it definitely pulls you in. I wasn't I wasn't so I go. wasn't flicking open Instagram or opening a mobile game to like pop bubbles or something like that. Do you know what I mean? It was they are very <laughs> they are very compelling. Um so yeah, it's uh, it's it's a good time. So we'll come back next week for part three. Um as always if you want to hear that, you can hear it right now if you want. You don't have to wait a week. Go over to the Patreon as little as one dollar a month, patreon.com slash nothing but static. Otherwise, like and subscribe here. You can go listen to this very podcast on podcast platforms if you're if you're sick of opening up on youtube no problem uh we're on itunes and spotify and google play and all those good places make sure you're giving us reviews and stuff in those places as well if you want to if you want to help spread the word of uh, the podcast version doing a lot better than the youtube version so it sounds like a lot of you have gone that way anyway but tell a friend if you're enjoying this um yeah we're, we're really liking making it and we'd love to hear you know we'd love for for, for you guys to be on this journey with us and and and, and share it so yeah feel free to tell friends or anything like that um but otherwise that's everything for this week i'm gonna hand it over to chris to do his slick little outro that gets a little bit slick less slick every week when i do this but chris i'm chris billingham i'm dan Dillon. and this review has been rewound I think the problem, Chris, is that I'm usually the one that does all the outro stuff, and then I have to hand it to you. <laughs> so maybe next time you can do all the get us on Patreon and stuff, and then it'll feel more natural. Yeah, I mean, it won't be as slick. That element of it won't be as slick, but we can give it a go. <laughs> That's okay, because otherwise you just get this weird sudden segue. Well, here, here, I'll, I'll practice now. You ready? Yep. Patreon, YouTube, all that's good stuff. You can find us there. I'm Chris Billingham. I'm Dan Doolan. And this review has been rewound. No links. No, so not not as detailed. <laughs> no, that's your problem. There's a balance yeah. there. <laughs> mm. And I've not been able to find it. We'll figure it out next week. Bye. Bye.